benefits of independent schools. Are they institutions set up to benefit their own families, or could they also have a larger purpose in the greater educational landscape? This is just one of the questions Patty McDonald and I pick apart in this episode. I'm Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. Patty McDonald was the first principal I ever worked under, and I did not realize at the time how lucky I was to have her visionary leadership, her deep understanding of equity and inclusion issues, and her unique approach to education as a researcher. Since Patty has left the Bishop Strawn School to become the executive director of CASE, Canadian Accredited Independent Schools, saying that she is missed would be an understatement. Even though we worked at the same building for many years, I don't think that I ever had the opportunity to just sit down and ask her whatever I wanted. As you will quickly find out from this conversation, Patty is a brilliant leader, and we get right into what outstanding schools all have in common, how teachers can adopt her approach of teacher as researcher, and what role independent schools can play in the larger world of education. Also, Patty shares some of her advice for growing leadership, and her answer both challenged and inspired me, so be sure to keep listening for that. This show is a must for anyone who wants to develop their leadership potential in education and really just have that kitchen conversation with a woman they admire. I am so excited for you to hear what we got into with our chat, so let's jump right in. Patty McDonald, thank you so much for joining me today in your kitchen, your beautiful kitchen. Um, I... I was saying to you before we hit the record button that I felt like I didn't realize how lucky I was to have you as a principal when I was working at the Bishop Strawn School's junior school. And now you've gone, and now I realize how lucky I was to have you. Um, so it's really just a treat to get to just chat with you, have you for like half an hour to myself. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I have to say, we were lucky to have you as well. Step. So. <laughs> um, so now you have moved on from BSS and you are the executive director of CASE. So I don't actually know what you do in that role and I don't know, you know, what you um, are now doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So can you tell everyone who's listening, what does your day look like? Mm -hmm. So CASE to begin is the Canadian Accredited Independent Schools and it is the association that oversees uh, it, the member schools, independent schools who choose to be accredited in Canada. And we currently have 94 schools, 91 in Canada, one in Switzerland, two in Bermuda. Hmm, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, so hmm. that's our, our membership. And as the executive director, I do something different every day. And, yeah. and I assume that uh, the longer I'm in this role, the more new experiences I'll have, the more the role will change over time. In my first year, so I'm actually, I think I'm at about month 10 and a half or almost 11 months. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in my first year, it's really been about learning and mm -hmm. building relationships. Mm -hmm. So with the 94 schools, our, our goal, our responsibility is to uh, support and encourage continual whole school improvement. That's, nice. that's what our organization is all about. And in order to be effective in, in supporting that, the most important thing was for me to be able to understand the schools, right. know the membership. And so I've spent this year traveling around Canada. Mm. I've been to 91 case schools. Actually, wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> so do you have a million points racked up right now? A million points. Amazing. Absolutely. And um, and I've had the the benefit. I've I've been the recipient of the generosity of of the case community, and people have toured me around schools, talked to me about what they're excited about. I've met leaders. I've met students. I've met teachers. Um, and and it's been a, a real privilege to um, better understand the the education landscape in independent schools mm. across Canada. Um, so that has been my key goal this year: is is understanding the landscape, meeting the people who make it happen, and building relationships so that I can moving forward do my job more effectively. What I noted about you, like reflecting back on your work as a principal, is that you're really a researcher, actually. And in all of your career moves over the last like some odd years, you're researching. And I think the way you're describing it, it sounds like you're researching these schools right now. Does that feel like what you're doing? Absolutely. Uh-huh. That, that's, that's very much what I'm doing. And so as I moved around the country, I asked three questions of the heads of school mm. that I met with. Uh, one question is, what are you really excited about? Mm-hmm. What's what's coming down the pipe for you and your school, uh, your community? Two, what are the biggest challenges that you're facing? And three, how can Case be of more support? Yeah. Yeah. So. Pretty simple. Yeah. And through those three questions, I'm sure that you've got to see a lot of really interesting things. Uh, what are some of the trends you notice about really incredible outstanding schools like what did they have in common well i think yeah. i i think that um we know that outstanding schools obviously have students at the center that's mm-hmm. that's what it's all about is is about the kids and um what i love about what i've experienced this year is that i think i have a much better understanding of what it means to be independent in the independent school world. Yeah, tell me about that. Because yeah. it's an interesting contradiction mm-hmm. because while we're all accredited and somehow loosely joined together, each school is its own unique entity. Absolutely, completely unique. And that is the benefit of independent school is that families can find the school that is the right fit mm. for, for their child. And um, we know that kids are different. Right, kids, different kids need different things, and we try really hard within our schools to be able to personalize and mm-hmm. customize that experience. But I think, as an association, our schools do an amazing job of having really clear missions mm-hmm. and working very hard to create that special niche for the kids who fit there. And one of the things that I love about Case and we've experienced it in the in the girls schools in Toronto we have four excellent girls schools in this city but each is different than the next Mm -hmm. and I think that we work very hard at ensuring families find the right school for their daughter right right and and that 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 experience is the right experience for them Mm -hmm. and um so that's I think one of the things that schools great schools do is they know who they are mm. and they they work very hard to do that. As I've gone around and visited schools across the country, um, I think the boarding schools have intrigued me the most mm. because of the incredible 
experience that they offer to students. My own son is, uh, has just turned 17, and as I've, as, as I've visited many schools, I can picture him there. I, he is such an independent kid, and that would have been exactly the right thing for him. And I wish that I had known more earlier, mm. because th- that would have been such a great experience, a great opportunity for him to be independent in all of the aspects of his life, academics, but but in terms of athletics and the arts and all of the other um, opportunities that that a boarding school offers, I I'm, that's interesting. Yeah, it I, would I, be really hard as a parent to say, actually, the best thing for my child is for you to be away from me for a couple of years. Like mm-hmm. I can't even fathom that. My child's two. I'm like, oh, I don't want you to go to daycare. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. So I, I'm wondering a little bit about some of the politics around independent schools that you see from like a bird's eye vantage point, because we are elite institutions. Like we said before, we do have really big price tags. Um, what do you notice schools that you've got to visit this year are doing really well around having a public purpose? So we create these little communities that are for us, like parents, like we need this in a school. Uh, but what are schools doing effectively to have an impact on other people other than just themselves? Mm-hmm. I think that um, first and foremost, there is such a commitment across so many of the case schools now to build endowments, to be able to mm. um, be more accessible. There are uh, ongoing conversations about tuition affordability and uh, recognizing that this is it is a luxury item it is it's got a big price tag but there are ways of ensuring that we have socioeconomic diversity within our schools Mm -hmm. and i think that there there is a real focus on on making schools accessible and so i think that that is uh the the first thing um I think that in terms of of the work that schools are doing, um, in terms of service projects, in terms of um, uh, really thinking more um, in a social entrepreneurial way, uh, that that we are working very hard in many cases to create uh, students who are citizens of the communities in which mm-hmm. they live. Okay, tell me about the school at Columbia, because I've heard many stories about that, and I, I want to believe that that's a school that is doing some of that work. Do you see them as making movement in that direction? Um, it's hard for me to speak about the school and what they're doing now. I can speak really clearly about yeah. um, who they were and and what they're... What they're mission was when when I was there. Um, So Columbia University exists within um, uh, Morningside Heights, uh, which is uh, above the Upper West Side in in New York. And uh, as Columbia grows, they are increasingly encroaching into Harlem. Mm -hmm. And so they work very closely with the community board that helps them make good decisions um, as as they expand. And uh, Columbia was 
committed to creating an elementary school. Um, one of the, the biggest uh, obstacles to attracting and retaining excellent faculty at the university is, you know, where is my, my child mm-hmm. going to go to school? And it's a very competitive market in New York. And uh, in order to attract and retain great faculty, the university decided to start a school. Um, and in working with the community board, the decision was made that half of the children at the school would be children of faculty, and the other half of the children would come from the community that surrounds Columbia. Um, so that is from Columbus Circle up to, I think, 143rd Street and over to the other side mm-hmm. of Central Park. So it encompasses a huge um, swath a huge, of land. A yeah. huge swath of land and uh, a hugely diverse population of people. Mm-hmm. And the, um, so the children uh, of the faculty from Columbia University represent um, huge diversity culturally mm-hmm. because Columbia has a, a very diverse faculty, um, which is fabulous. And the children who came from the community uh, came um, needs blind, so uh, the university supported the, them um, to whatever degree they needed to be in terms of tuition um, and on lottery. Mm-hmm. So uh, essentially names went in a hat, they were pulled out of the hat and and those are the children who came. So this was 15 years ago and the tuition was 25.5 and of the 50% of the children who came from the community, uh, 60% paid $100 a year. Mm. So uh, it was an enormously socioeconomically and culturally diverse uh, student population, which was fantastic. There's no, there's no experience like starting a school, um, and uh, and there's there's really no experience no no experience like starting a school, unlike any other school. Yeah. In North America, and so it was, it was. A fantastic um, opportunity and experience but not without challenges so in our first year um, we found that the uh, the lottery was essentially flooded by people in the Upper West Side who were looking for a great option for their for their children who had who resources had, and who money. had resources and money oh and my gosh so what do you do with that and so what we did was we put together small teams of um, educators and parents and uh, we went out to the parks and mm. we met families who had four-year-olds um, in different parts of Harlem and we let them know about the school and uh, we, we encouraged them to, to apply so that we could um, support that process for families who either did not know that the school existed or usually because they're not connected like usually because they're not in that circle of knowing about Mm -hmm. these kind of little niche things at Columbia University exactly so who who um, didn't just either didn't have access or didn't have opportunity Mm -hmm. um, to to find this potential uh, uh, school for for their child and so that really helped to increase um, the diversity of the kids mm-hmm. who were applying and uh, was, was a, a positive step forward. So in the school, there were, 
you know, there was a real commitment to building community within the community. And so the school was designed right from the beginning to um, allow for that to happen. Um, so breakfast was served mm -hmm. for families at the school every day. And there were big round tables. And so Columbia professors would come with their children. Mm -hmm. Community people would come with their children. They would all sit together mm -hmm. at big tables. They would eat breakfast and, and they would build relationships. And, and that was the most Im important thing um, in the school. So, uh, but there, but again, there were, there were challenges in relationship to meeting the needs of all the students um, who had very different experiences. You know, one child would go home to their uh, family at night and their mother was a math professor and would help with her mm -hmm. homework. And another child would go home to an empty apartment at night because mm -hmm. her parents needed to be working in yeah. the evening. Um, you know, many of our families worked multiple jobs to be able to uh, support their families. And um, so we worked very hard at, at equalizing that experience. How? <laughs> I don't think that we, at least when I was there, I don't know that we there was a right answer to that. There, we tried many different things. Um, we had programs that ran after school hours that would allow kids to be involved in a variety of activities, um, both academic and, and extracurricular. Um, and, but it was, it, it was certainly a challenge. Um, but it, I think again, relationships are the key and yeah. really knowing, um, really knowing the students, really knowing the challenges that they they have in their lives, and mm -hmm. um, trying to uh, provide just the right thing for for each of the each of the students. Yeah, it's not some sort of like blanket approach. It's this family has this need at this time. How can we address that? And that's exactly. the public purpose part. Like your you're going into the community, but it's that the community is also coming to you, like Absolutely. that they want that kind of a relationship. It's not you making mm -hmm. sandwiches and dropping them off somewhere. It's mm -hmm. actually about like a reciprocity of relationship. Exactly. exactly. Do you think that model could ever work in Toronto? Um, I think, you know, given uh, a commitment for financial support, Absolutely, but mm -hmm. that was the key. Was really the generosity of Columbia University to yeah. to create um, this possibility of of building a school where um, kids were financially supported to whatever degree they needed to be to be able to be there. It was an amazing school, and I I, I haven't been there in a few years, and I assume it it, it continues to be uh, a very unique and amazing place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you've started your PhD now. I have. Just because you don't have enough things to do right. with a 17-year-old child and a new job. You're like, I'm going to start a PhD. I think that's a great thing. Um, but you are a researcher. Like That is yeah. so at the core of all of your teaching experience. And what I loved as having you as my very first principal is that you really espouse this idea as teacher, as researcher. And, you know, when I joined BSS, I was right out of my master's program. So it was, I think, the perfect first school for me. Um, but 
how do you see, so imagine a teacher who doesn't have you as their principal and isn't in a school where teacher as researcher is just part of the ethos of that building. How can a teacher start to think like a researcher and start to teach like a researcher if they're in their own silo? Mm -hmm. You asked earlier what, um, what great schools have in common and uh, I believe deeply that this idea of continual whole school improvement is what makes a great school yeah. um, at every level. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a teacher, whether you're a leader, you know, whether you're a student, you know, if we're all learners, if we are all continually learning and really have a stance, have, a, have an ethos, have a culture of learning in the school, um, then that is what's going to make a school great because people will be working on that all the time. It's, it's just about, you know, keep moving forward, keep mm -hmm. getting better. And so for a teacher in a school where maybe that isn't the culture yet, um, then, you know, I think it's, it's just living that reality in your classroom all the time. Um, find, you know, find an ally, find a partner. Mm -hmm and make time and opportunity to talk about practice and what's going well and what your challenges are. Uh, I think that the, the values that apply, that we try to um, realize, to en enliven in our classrooms, of creating a safe place to try things on, to make mistakes, mm -hmm. to uh, take big risks, to challenge ourselves um, with our students are the same things that school leaders can allow in working with teachers. Mm -hmm. um, if, if we're going to get better, then people need to be able to talk about what's hard, talk about what's not working, talk about um, how you know something that they might try to move that practice forward. It's, you know, I've, I've always, you know, that was the life that I had the privilege of leaving, li li living in the classroom. Um, I began in public school, I moved to the Institute of Child Study, and then I moved to the School at Columbia, and then the Bishop Strong School. And in each of those environments, I had the opportunity to uh, be part of a culture where that was the work that we were doing, of, of okay, so how do we do this better next time? Mm -hmm. You know, what is, you know, what's not working right now? And, and, and how do we, how do we just keep getting better? And, and leading with questions, like just absolutely engaging with inquiry because exactly. it's part of who we are. Like, and it's, 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 it's what we know mm -hmm. is best practice for our students is for them to lead with questions, yeah. to ask a question, to ask themselves, well, what do I believe about that right now? Where am I starting? So I, I believe that what we understand about how children learn applies to us as educators and how we learn. So the social construction of knowledge mm -hmm. is, is what we need to practice for ourselves. And leaders need to create those opportunities for teachers to ask questions, to delve into practice, 
to feel safe mm-hmm. in 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 revealing yeah. their weaknesses. Yes. And and then provide opportunities for for ongoing professional learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that professional learning is not an option. <laughs> it's a requirement. It's our culture. It's it, it's it, what we breathe. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. And you know, and now I feel in this role, you know, what what attracted me to Case was this idea that they are committed to continual whole school improvement mm-hmm. and to helping schools develop that culture, to live that opportunity and to um, keep getting better in, mm-hmm. in the world of education. I also really believe that as independent schools, we have the opportunity to show what is possible and mm. to, um, it, through our work, to actually advance educational practices. And as we do that, to be able to share that with the community at large. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your, your journey as a leader in schools because you're the executive director of case that's a really big deal you've done really well in your career and i think you would probably acknowledge that you've had many successes throughout your many years in education you were in the classroom for like 18 years or 20 years before you moved to new york city um could we talk about that transition moment where you're offered a position to start a school with columbia university like, this is kind of like the thing, like the dream job. Many people are like, this would be the best thing ever. Can you talk about your decision to move to another country and to basically start a school? What was that like? It was amazing. It was exciting. Uh, I think that I have been incredibly fortunate through my career to have a very interesting opportunities um, uh, present themselves. And... All it took for me to do is say, yes, I'd love to try that next. Um, but are you seeking out these opportunities as well? Like the way you say that, it makes it sound like they just magically arise. And like part of me doesn't entirely buy that because you're incredibly hardworking and you're doing things, you're putting yourself out there. Like, are they just showing up on your doorstep? I think in a way they are. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I need a better doorstep. <laughs> Well, I think I think it is it's it's about you know being involved, making connections. Um, you know, I I was always super passionate and excited about the work that I was doing, and loved to be involved. And so I began my career in Wentworth County um, as an elementary school teacher, and taught many grades. And it was actually a principal who sent me the posting for the job at the Institute of Child Study. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so um, obviously I applied and um, that, that opportunity um, became a possibility. But, but I, didn't necess- I wasn't looking for a job, mm-hmm. I guess. And the same thing was true um, when I was teaching at ICS and, and the opportunity became available at the school at Columbia University. I wasn't, I was completely happy in my job. Mm. I loved what I was doing. It's an amazing school, an amazing community, amazing opportunities for learning. Um, but another opportunity presented itself. Mm. And again, 
yes, I, I, I applied. Um, but I wasn't under an illusion that, 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 that I would, I, it would actually happen. <laughs> but then it <laughs> and, did. And, but then it did. And, um, and, and I think, um, I think that that is the key is, is really embracing the opportunities when they arise. Um, even uh, when they're inconvenient. Even when they're inconvenient. Because I want they're in New York. So I want to go down that path. Mm-hmm. You have a two-year-old Jacob at this time. Yes. And you're married. Yes. And you live in Toronto. Yes. And then you have an amazing job offer in yes. New York City. Yes. So so what do you do? You have to say yes. <laughs> That's actually what my husband said. I, yeah. I called him from the airport and he's like, Oh my God! They offered you the job, didn't they? And I said they did, and 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 he said, "Well, you have to go." And and I did. But what's amazing is that a lot of men might get offered a position that's advancing their career and putting them on a different track, and it might put them away from their family or working longer hours or traveling to Hong Kong every month. And I think a lot of people hearing that story about a man would think, oh, that's just what men do. They take this opportunity, they go. And it's less common to have a woman say like, I'm gonna do that. I have a small child at home and I'm gonna take this amazing, risky, juicy adventure Mm -hmm. here. And you did it. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I see that as such an inspiration of, okay, so I have a two-year-old right now. I don't need to let having a child and a wife and a commitment and a mortgage stop me from taking really big, amazing risks somewhere else. Yeah. But how terrifying was that? Like, <laughs> It was pretty terrifying, I have to say. So I, it, was, it was fabulous until it was real. And you were packing your bags, or when did it oh, become real? When I was walking down the street in New York, and it was uh, the blackout. You remember the blackout? I do. Mm-hmm. So that was my second day in New York, <laughs> and the city went dark, and I was supposed to come back and, and see my family that weekend. It was in August, and I couldn't, I didn't, it was before I had a cell phone. I couldn't, uh-huh. I couldn't contact um, Ontario. I didn't know how everybody was. I... So it was in that moment that I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. What, like, what am I doing right now? But you move past those moments. And I have to say that the community of people who I worked with at the school, um, as you know, we were working together to, to make the school a reality, were amazing. And um, I'm actually going to Scotland next week to see uh, one of the friends that... that um, uh, I met when I was there and, and I, we had a community who essentially co-parented my child with yeah. me. And it's, you know, these are, these are lifelong friends mm. who, um, who are now all over the world and mm. we have the opportunity to, to visit and see what they're doing in their worlds of education mm-hmm. and how things are evolving in, in their lives. And that wouldn't have happened if you didn't take that little risk. It's Would like not. by stepping outside of your normal routines and mm-hmm. what's typically expected of women and children and families, you create these amazing new relationships and amazing new possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak a little bit about the, um, the Leadership Institute that's run by CASE? And you mentioned also the Next Steps program. Like, Absolutely. What are they? How are they different? Who should apply? Mm-hmm. So the Leadership Institute is a program for um, 
prospective leaders, people who are interested in moving into leadership roles in independent schools. It is uh, a 10 module program. Uh, CASE offers three modules, uh, opportunity for three modules each summer within the Leadership Institute, and then often uh, one module in the fall and one in the spring. And so it could take two, two to three years, two to, three, uh, years to complete um, the, the diploma in independent school leadership from CASE. It's, uh, uh, and we're, I'm just back from Victoria uh-huh. at St. Mike's University School where we just completed the, the Leadership Institute for, for this summer. And it's a, an amazing experience. There, there's deep learning, but there's also real opportunity to build relationships um, uh, across K schools, and it's. I think that one of the pieces of learning for me this year has been just what a tight community Case mm. really is. It's mm-hmm. such a small world because we do have people moving from school to school, uh, building relationship there, bringing you know learning and knowledge to other schools, and uh, the the social aspect of the Leadership Institute is is just as important as as the academic so aspect. And so uh, that's the LI. Uh, the Next Steps program is just that. It's the next step. It's really for people who are interested in moving to, into senior leadership roles. And so we have a, a really um, talented, uh, awesome group of facilitators uh, in the Next Steps program. It runs uh, for three days, uh, one summer. There's a uh, mentorship and opportunity to work on a change project through the year and um, then uh, a second face-to-face uh, uh, program time. We have, as I said, four great facilitators who, who work with uh, those students in the summer and then through the year and uh, really focusing in on uh, self-awareness, knowing yourself as a leader, um, uh, and then other areas of functionality around human resources, difficult conversations, mm-hmm. um, advancement, mm-hmm. which is often, uh, you know, a, a, a mystery. Like it's a bit of a mystery in a way. Yeah, for, for people who are coming from the, the education side of, or the, the academic side of, of um, uh, leadership in, in our schools. So it's, it's a fantastic program. And um, the other two programs that we run at the same time, one is a Heads Institute, mm-hmm. so an op- opportunity for heads of school to come together um, in the summer and do have some reflection time as well as uh, opportunity for co- uh, collegiality and mm-hmm. to talk to their peers about um, some of the challenges that they're facing, the successes that they've had. Uh, I think that being a head of school can be a very isolating Mm-hmm. Um, position and so it's a, it's a great opportunity for um, camaraderie and finally the strategic change accelerator yeah. is our new program <laughs> and it it was fantastic oh, it's so good to hear this is an opportunity for groups of leaders to come together who really have a bold change project that they'd like to um, enact in their school uh, and so this is an opportunity for them to step outside of the school environment, but to work closely together um, in a supported environment with uh, other colleagues from other schools who are doing the same thing. And I think that what we're able to provide in that program are 
uh, is number one excellent facilitation from um, Garth Nichols and Justin Medved and uh, Grant Lickman um, working together as, as, a, as a really tight team. It's so dynamic. So dynamic. I love watching them in front of a room. <laughs> they are fantastic. And um, so they bring structures uh, that will support people in um, the change process. They uh, help to develop skill sets. Um, one of which um, can't be underestimated is the capacity to work as a group. Mm. And uh, so in that opportunity, again, they start face-to-face -face, um, in July at the, at the LI. And then they will have six Zoom meetings over the course of the year with some good benchmarks set out so that people have accountability. Mm -hmm. But again, they have mentorship, ongoing me mentorship through the year. And so important, like even just to think about learning those team dynamics, like we're never actually really taught those things. You just have to figure it out through trial and error. Exactly. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the end, what our hope is, is that then that core group of people as they re return to their schools and they work with their own teams that the skills, the structures um, and, and the learning will be then translated into other projects, mm -hmm. other change opportunities and will help to advance the, the learning that's happening generally in the school. Mm. Yeah, We're going to close off with a ticket out the door, okay. which is a series of rapid fire questions of which you cannot prepare. And it sends you off into the universe. Mm -hmm. um, are you ready? I'm ready. Your ticket out the door. What is your favorite book to read to children? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> um, for some reason, and I don't ask me why, the first book that came into my head was a book called Norbert Nipkin. Have you read Norbert Nipkin? I have it. Yeah, it's like old. <laughs> it's old. Yeah, that's great. It's such a great book. Best gift you ever received as a teacher. Um, I got a poem from a student who was in grade one, um, that I loved. Hmm. A poem. Favorite place in Canada to visit? Oh, that's a really hard one because there are so many amazing places in Canada that I visited this year. New uh, places too, I so imagine. So many, yes. So my favorite new place this year was St. John's, Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it there. It's such a, it's such a great city. And my uh, favorite um, old place in Canada is uh, British Columbia, Victoria, BC, where mm -hmm. I just was because I have so much family there and I get to um, uh, see my mom. Mm -hmm. So yes, so from coast to coast. If you weren't a teacher or an educator, what would you be doing? Wishing I was a teacher. <laughs> like trying to get into mm -hmm. the profession. That's a really good answer for you. I love it. What do you miss most about being in one school? I miss hugs. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm tearing up right now. That's mm -hmm. really, you're right. Yeah. Hugs. Children hugs too. Like oh, you, you get lots of teacher hugs. Yeah. You're a good hugger for that. But like the the children hugs. The children hugs. The children. The hugs. leg hugs. The leg hugs. The side hugs. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. Um, favorite edu celebrity. I think that there are too many to 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 pick one. Mm -hmm. um, if you could have one over for dinner to pick their brain, who would it be? 
Sean Dewey. Yeah. I was going to be like, you're going to go Dewey. <laughs> I had money on it. Uh, first thing you do when you get home at the end of the day? Pet the dog. And finally, what's the future of learning? The future of learning is learning. I think the future of learning is is knowing that that's the that's what we need to do is 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 I was going to say knowing that that's the right answer, mm. but there is no right answer and mm-hmm. I think that that's the thing is that I think the future of learning is knowing that we will never be there that that, that there is a state of of constant inquiry mm. and and uh, it's the, you know that clip from Meet the Robinsons just keep getting better yeah, just keep getting better those are amazing words to end on Patty McDonald I could chat with you for days about this it has been such a joy and such a privilege to get to have you one on one I don't think I've ever had this much like just direct conversation time and I loved every minute of it thank you so much thank you so much it's great to have you in my kitchen I'll come back anytime absolutely <laughs> A huge thank you to Patty for speaking openly and candidly about schools, teaching, and learning. I got so much out of this conversation and I hope you listening at home also feel the same way. If you are curious about learning more about the leadership development offered by Case, I'm including links to those resources in the show notes. Your homework after listening to this episode is to fill out a review on iTunes. It will take you about two minutes and it will let me know what's working well with this podcast and what could be even better. Please also follow me on Twitter at teach underscore tomorrow. If you have any burning questions or dilemmas about education, include me in your thinking and I'll find the person to interview and bring insight to your challenge. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Let's keep getting better. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.